Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of season two of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt. I am a science enthusiast, and I would like to start this episode by acknowledging that I am recording this on lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. And as always, with me, spiritually, digitally, virtually, but not physically, is my esteemed co-host, mm. Kate. Yeah, it's feeling very, it's feeling very virtual at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it's always virtual. Every episode we've done pretty much has been from a virtual distance. I think but except at the, moment, the first episode just... might be the only episode we recorded yeah. in person together. Yeah, and it's just, I'm trying to get over and visit you, but now WA's fucking up and you guys are in lockdown and we've closed our borders to you guys and I just, I'm losing it. I'm oh losing yeah, it. let's, uh, let's, let's, um... Actually, before I give a little update of where we're at, um, where are you recording from, Kate? True, true. I always forget that people need to know who I am too. Exactly. Um, we care about you. You're the source of info on this show. I can't oh, just give my credentials. Please don't glorify me too much. It'll, you know, my ego's big enough. Um, so I'm Kate. <laughs> I'm a scientist. I'm neuroscientist, the resident scientist of this podcast. And I would like to acknowledge that I am recording from the lands of the Wurundjeri people, um, and I'm very grateful to be doing so. And yeah, I, they're not the same lands that you're recording from and it's killing my soul. Mm. And I miss y'all. I miss y'all over there. But alas, the pandemic rages on. Exactly. Last fortnight gave the update of, you know, what was, what was happening at least at my end where I'd just gotten out of lockdown and we'd had to evacuate because of fires and stuff like that. Well, now I'm in lockdown again because Perth mm-hmm. had another mm-hmm. case, but it mm-hmm. seems to be pretty under control. It's just like, a, yeah. it's only like a, a short shot, like five day lockdown. They've done heaps of, I think they've contact traced. Five days. <laughs> I don't want to give any sort of figure because I haven't fact checked it, but they've contact traced a lot of people and I don't believe they found any evidence of community transmission or spread. So it seems like, forgive the term, we've got it pretty much on lockdown. Um, This one case. Um, Well done. And then there's also heck tons of bushfires going on in the north of Perth at the moment as well. Something like 70 homes lost. It's, 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 oh boy, boy, it's... Mm. It's all happening yeah, here in the West. How are things in the East? <laughs> I mean, like, it's pretty chill uh, compared to how it has been and compared to how it is for you guys. The only, the only, you know, bummer in my life right now is that I can't come over and visit you guys because now you're the infected ones. So yeah. tank that. Um, <laughs> snap, snap, snap um, in Melbourne. Uh, we'll bounce back. <laughs> we'll bounce back. I saw a great comment on a TikTok about making fun of the fact that now WA has a case when all of the re- when previously WA was a bit high and mighty about not having any cases and the other mm. states laughing at them and stuff like that. And the comment was brilliant. It was, we reckon that Australia has managed to keep COVID on lock so well just because all of the states and territories just have a great, like, little rivalry with each other trying to be the best in terms of huh we've got the lowest number of cases uh we've gone so and so days without infection we're doing so well with this lockdown we are well we're doing better with this lockdown and it's our little rivalries Bloody that have actually made us Australians. stronger as a whole country which i think is a really cool concept um, honestly 
that makes sense. Um, because the rivalry is is real, and it's I look also it's fun, and it's the it only is. thing keeping people sane. I think, well, close to sane. <laughs> <laughs> But look, look, let's stop focusing on the doom and gloom of the uh, kind of little pandemic we find ourselves in because it is February already, wild, um, mm-hmm. start of February. And this week, later this week, you'll be hearing this episode, well, possibly if you listen to it straight away, in which mm-hmm. case, well done. Thank you. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Um, but, you know, we are releasing it on the week of Valentine's Day. So it'll yes, be dropping yes. on Monday, Valentine's Day coming up. What do you know about Valentine's Day, Matt? Valentine's reckon, Day. You know, why Why are we going to, you know, talk about Valentine's Day? Why are we hmm. going to talk How about How am I going to spin Day? this into a science topic, you ask? <laughs> Just you wait. I don't know. Are you going to help me find love? <laughs> Look, that's just like a little bit. Am I outside going... of my skill set? Oh, am I um, going to help you find love? Are you trying to get me to set you up with someone? Is that I feel the like deal that's here? also a little bit outside of your skill set. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so look, no, I'm just. What we're going to do today is we're going to. What is love? Doom. Maybe don't uh, hurt yeah. me. We're going to we're going to kind of talk about the science of like what this weird concept that we consider mm. love, which you know I'll get to that in a second because that in itself trying to even figure out what we're trying to explain is a whole kettle of fish, but I just stay tuned people by the end of this episode, we're going to tell you (laughs) the meaning of love. All right. Uh, A lot of people have debated it mm. for a while, but here at curiosity killed Mm -hmm. the rat. We have the Mm -hmm. answers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, prepare to be disappointed at how (laughs) inconclusive this episode is, but the reason we're doing it this week of all weeks is because Valentine's day Holiday, you know, yeah. generally associated with love, given mm. cute shit in the name of, you it know. It could be the time where you, if you might, you might already have some kind of significant other that you want to show your appreciation to and give them gifts and love and all that sort of mm, stuff. All or the stuff that you don't you do the rest a, of the year because, you know. You might be a single Pringle. You might have your eyes on someone and that day mm. might be the day that you want to confess your love to that person mm. by a sweet love letter or just telling them, making a little song for them. But Valentine's <laughs> Day seems to be a uh, seems to be a popular date to do that kind of mm, stuff. I'd be does, curious to does. know the uh, statistics of the... Uh, hold on, let me do some quick maths real quick. What? Okay, what's nine months after February? <laughs> after February? Before February? After, after February. February. After February. Uh, well, I can't March, really April, February. May, June, <laughs> July, August, September, October, November. I'm November, curious to know how, how, how many babies are born in November compared to mm. uh, other. Don't know. Don't know. Can't say I've paid a whole lot of attention. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> look, I know, I know that we're a science show and we'll get yes. to this. Like uh, there will be science. The science will come. But hey, scientists, we have love in our hearts too. But like. I just want to quickly like touch on the history of Valentine's Day because mm. it's fucking hilarious. Um, well, not hilarious. Hilarious is probably the wrong word. I regret that choice of word, but I'm going to move straight along. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless. No one will notice. <clears throat> do I have media training? No, no. <laughs> Can't you tell? Oh, you do gosh. though. That's the thing. We both do technically. How embarrassing for I me. I know. <laughs> so... Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. What do you know about it? What do you think? Why Why do we celebrate love on Valentine's Day? I want to get, you know, the layperson haven't, you know, researched this in the last 24 hours perspective. I haven't what do you participated think? in it for a couple of years. Um, my understanding of Valentine's mm-hmm. Day is that there was a bloke back in the day 
called classic I think it was either sir valentine or saint valentine or bloody mm-hmm, samuel mm-hmm. valentine saint, i don't know saint, saint know, valentine anyway. but he probably wasn't a saint while he was alive i think saintlyhood no. is something that's applied post-mortem mm-hmm. anyway i think it was something like he really cared about love and stuff and he lived in a time where people just got married and things for the sake of uh politics and family and money and he was like mm-hmm. no I want people to marry for love and he held secret weddings and things to let them be be married for the sake of love, let poor people be married or something like that. And then uh, the establishment found out and they killed him because they were like, no, love bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then they memorialized the day he died as St. Valentine's Day and made him a saint after the fact because God likes love too. You know what? That's a real cute story. And I truly wish that it was the truth because it's just so much more appropriate than what is actually reality. Okay. So you were correct. There was a bloke named Valentine. In fact, there were a couple of blokes named Valentine. This is what the funny, this is the funniest part about the story to me. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of different dudes, like not all in the same year, a couple of years apart, but they all got you know, executed, beheaded on February 14th. Like there were two or three separate guys named Valentine who, um, you know, all around the same sort of time, you know, we had Emperor, what was his name? Emperor Claudius II, right? Um, This is, you know, in the third third century, Mm -hmm. Roman Emperor, Emperor Claudius II beheads these guys who then later get recognized by the Roman Catholic Church as martyrs for Christianity mm-hmm. and get dubbed Saint Valentine, get a memorial holiday in their honour, which is on the 14th of so February. So all of them are dubbed Saint Valentine. Well, the yeah, ambi- this is the thing. It's very <laughs> ambiguous because right. there's two or three dudes who are all named Valentine who potentially get dubbed Saint because mm. they're all kind of, their stories are a little bit muddled and the different like historical accounts overlap and it's it's very it's a clusterfuck, yeah, okay. to be quite frank, right? But essentially none of them have anything to do with love. The kind of general, they, they were just people living in, you know, ancient Rome, where the ancient Romans did not generally consider themselves Christians for the most part. Mm. Um, and, and this guy, Valentine, or multiple people also named Valentine, and, you know, one of the stories goes that he was trying to convert a man and the man was like, oh, my daughter's blind. If you can cure her blindness, then, you know, and he does, he cures the blindness and the man's like, oh, this is fantastic. I'm right. going to become a Christian. And then good old Emperor Claudius II goes, uh, yeah, can you not How steal about people? No. <laughs> I'm going to cut your head off. Yeah. And so cuts his head off, you know. So essentially they, 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 they were just guys that were trying to recruit for Christianity um, who the emperor beheaded. And then the Roman Catholic Church was like, right, these guys kind of need a memorial holiday. And then, so none of that has anything to do with love. And then how it got linked to love is that also kind of like simultaneously in history, the Romans, the ancient Romans, had this like super cute romantic festival oh. called the Feast. I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. Uh, it's like the Feast of... Lupercalia is how I'm going to commit to saying that, Um, which was essentially a feast or like a festival to honor the coming of spring. 
And so it was super cute because the way it worked is you had all the men and they, they sacrificed a goat and they sacrificed a dog uh -huh. and then they whipped the women with the hides of the animals that oh, they killed. Oh, dude, I love that. What a great Kinky, way right? to one, what? like, show man's control over both nature and other people, further putting women in, like, this box of, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you belong and to so, men. Like, I love that. According to um, a historian from the University of Colorado, um, this is a quote. So the, the Roman romantics were drunk and they were naked. Young women would actually line up for men to hit them because they believed this would make them fertile. So essentially we've got this very, very wonderfully abusive festival where we've told all the women that to be fertile, they need to get literally hit on by the men <laughs> with the carcasses of dead animals. But we're not done there. Oh, it gets boy. cuter. It gets, look, okay, oh look, God, I just want to like, this. I'm not trying to kink shame here and I'm not trying <laughs> to yuck someone else's yum. Like, you know, if you're into that and it's all consensual, like, fine, The good. issue here is that it was probably... It was manipulative. A lot, a lot of these women were the probably women. brainwashed into like, you got to do this. And like, yeah, it was telling the women that the only way that they could become fertile and therefore like serve their purpose in society was to get, get a little abused. spanking. Horrendous. Anyway, cuter. We have the world's like first, well, recorded uh, matchmaking ceremony where the men essentially pull women's names out of like a jar and then the couples get like coupled off for the remainder of the festival. And if it worked out, they got married afterwards. And if it didn't, well, like, so they it's didn't, just like but... Love Island, but it's society. Yeah. Yeah. And then like somewhere <laughs> along the line and around like the fifth century, this festival that occurred between the 13th and the 15th of February got muddled with the beheading of the Valentines. Fair and enough. Both um, equally uh, uh, intimate ceremonies. <sighs> and now somehow St. Valentine is associated with professing your love. Like Shakespeare and Chaucer all kind of used the term Valentine to, you know, and, and, and led to this changing of perception. And then, you know, good old consumerism swooped in and here we are today. But like, fuck, I, right? Like, I love that. The, the, the for one, the Valentine thing has theoretically nothing to do with the idea of love. It's just like a bunch of dudes who happen to get beheaded on the date. And then mm -hmm. the thing, the festival that actually had something to do with love that got melded in love. there. It's it's just a fucking. A, it's a an abusive, an abusive fest, like power an abusive ceremony done yes. by the Romans, and it's not about love. It's just about yes. haha. I'm a spank you and you're yes. going to be fertile. Yeah. So anyway, here we yeah. are getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day. Make sure you buy I your I hope you've lovely... ordered your roses in time. All of the florists yes. are selling out. Um, puke. Anyway, <laughs> now that I've made you all feel horrendous about Valentine's Day, uh, let's talk about love. Let's talk about you and me. me. Let's talk let's about L-O-V-E. Let's talk about <laughs> love. <laughs> That's how high five fucking. What about Boobly? Love. Love is a mini splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All we need is love. All you need is love. Anyway, can't Love. Love. Are there any more love songs? What's love got to do? Got to do. Got to do with it. Do 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 do. I'm addicted to love. And then there's so many. But anyway, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Isn't she lovely? Okay, stop it. So like, look, actually, this it kind of like proves the point that I was going to ramble my way into, which is. 
what the fuck is love? How do we define love? How am I even going to talk from like a biological, you know, scientific perspective on love when like it's such, you know, it's something that's inspired so many songs. It's something that we've been essentially obsessed with for decades, for decades, gosh, centuries, millennia, like since humans were human, like, you know, it's a very it's thing. pure, but, deep part of the human experience. Mm, the feeling but like, of what is it? Could, could you define it? If I was like to you, Hey Matt, like I'm an alien. I've just landed on a uh, planet earth. Beep, boop, boop, boop. And uh, everyone's talking about love. What, what is this thing that everyone's talking about? Well, that's the thing, right? Because at least <laughs> within the English language, love can mean a few different things thing. depending on like the context. You've got romantic love, you have platonic mm. love, you have familial mm -hmm. love, mm -hmm. um, erotic love, erotic love, which is separate from romantic it, love. It is like it is, and all of those. Have... And then you've got like you know, be like, oh, I love long walks on the beach or I love sleeping in, you know, we use the term love to just describe enjoying something enjoyment. sometimes. But right? like, like more than enjoyment, like a, a, a real kind of mm. passion and compassion. Mm. But then would you describe it as an emotion? Because initially I'd be, I'd be inclined to be like, yeah, oh, well, yeah love is a feeling. It's an emotion, but like, you feel it's love. Kind of not, emotions are much more fleeting. Something. Yeah. Like you don't, someone that you love or if you're in love with someone like you can you can hate that person you can be pissed off at that person and still love say them. that you're in love with them like it's not necessarily an emotion it's just like this massive concept that's just you know incredibly difficult to define and that's mm. half the problem and so you know there are there are so many different factors and it can mean so many different things to different people because like love can also be described you know depending on you know, even if you come at it from a scientific angle, right, you've got so many different fields of science. You've got anthropologists, you've got neuroscientists, you've got geneticists coming at this from like different angles. Love. And you can be like, okay, love is a set of, you know, behaviors. Sometimes people can say that, you know, public displays of affection or dating mm. or marriage or having a baby, like all of these things kind of can be described as representing love but then what if you're someone that doesn't want to get married or someone who can't have kids or doesn't want to have kids can you still experience love like yes of course we say that you can mm. and look so when it comes down to it i don't have enough time or enough credentials in this podcast to talk about all the different social cultural factors and what can come down to love but i am qualified to talk about something and that is neuroscience and specifically Addiction neuroscience, which, you know, for anyone who hasn't listened to previous episodes of this podcast, the field of neuroscience in which I do my research is addiction neuroscience. Mm. So this is, this is really fun because, uh, you know, when good old Kesha sang, your love is my drug. That's another one that we forgot you to mention. You might as well face it, you're addicted yeah. to love. Um, and, you know, well that was it. kind of come out because people like you do kind of feel that, but in the brain, it's so similar. And anyway, I could, I could, but I will... Mm. I, what I were could, you going to say? I, I have inklings and ideas of where you may go with that. I have hypotheses, mm. if you will. But mm. continue, continue. I'm intrigued. Unless you want to hear the I, hypotheses first. I do, I always. Go, so, shoot them, spit them. Lo love is very similar feeling to attachment or is linked with attachment. I reckon you could see love or love for someone in some circumstances as like an, addi an addiction which is why it takes so long to get over a breakup. If you get really, mm -hmm. really attached to that person going through 
a breakup is like having withdrawal symptoms because mm-hmm. you've got this one person who's giving you all of these chemicals and feelings, all of this serotonin, all of this mm-hmm. um, dopamine and fucking whatever the other happy chemicals are. I can't remember fucking cannabinoids. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a neuroscientist. <laughs> Maybe sure. depending on the relationship you had with them. Anyway. Um, and then all of a sudden this person is gone from your life and so is all of the feelings they give you. But you can't just cut out all of those experiences and expect to let them go all at once. There's a taper off period where you need to learn to let go of the person. And, you know, depending on what it is, like one of the common things I've heard is it takes half as long as you are dating the person to get over them. So if you dated someone for a year, you would be at least six months before you're over them fully. Um, but again, everyone's different circumstances, yada, 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 mm. whatever. Um, so my hypothesis is that mm-hmm. love, at least romantic love, activates the same parts of the brain that drugs do. So people literally get addicted to other people. Mm-hmm. Look, in a very, uh, you know, that that was, that was pretty spot on. Um, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail but like the first thing that you said was that you know that it's love is similar to attachment and that's Mm. that's the thing so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know different scientists have have taken different ways of defining and approaching and looking at love as this big you know globulous concept but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about one that's generally used by anthropologists or you know a biological anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher first kind of came up with this and it's it's used to talk about love is that you can define or you can break love down into three different stages or phases or or types so you've got lust which is kind of your mm-hmm. more you know primal sexual carnal dr- desire. Uh, desire then you've got attraction which is much more that kind of like romantic attraction to someone butterflies in your belly like oh my god they looked at me yeah yeah and then you've got attachment which is that much more long-term deeper bonded feeling and Mm. each of these phases is characterized with its own set of hormones or or neurotransmitters in the brain so like you know like you know very simply you've got testosterone and estrogen which are driving the the lust phase yeah. you've got dopamine norepinephrine and serotonin driving the attraction phase mm-hmm. and then you've got oxytocin and vasopressin driving the attachment phase so yeah yeah okay okay we'll start we'll start with lust right break these down in a little bit more detail so lust is i mean i guess Driven by the desire for sexual gratification yeah. is, is what it is. You know, it's that, it's that. You look at someone and you're like, shit, I want to fuck. Yeah, that, exactly. Which which can exist alongside romantic attraction, mm-hmm. but it can also exist without romantic attraction, right? Like, like you, could have, you could feel feelings separate. of lust towards like celebrities and stuff like that. You see mm. like, or like, you know, you see a really hot boy band doing a music video. You look at Harry Styles and you're like, holy shit. He's mm, so dreamy. Mm. I want to be inside him. You know, that's you know, and, the, and like the fact that they're separable is, um, you know, further backed up by the fact that you've got people who are asexual and mm. don't find any, you know, they don't have any sexual attraction and therefore they can, they don't experience lust or mm. for the most part don't experience lust, but they can still desire romantic relationships. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you've got people who are aromantic, which is, the flippity like flop. The flippity flop, where those people can still feel like they want to have sex, but they don't have any desire to form a romantic mm-hmm. 
you know, relationship with someone. They're like perfectly these, these content things... with just Exactly. So yeah. you can kind of, yeah, think of the difference between the the lust phase and the attraction phase in this model as being the difference between sexual attraction and romantic attraction. I that guess. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so this lust, it's it's driven by testosterone and estrogen produced mm-hmm. by the testes and the ovaries. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a case of like, well, testosterone from the testes makes men horny and then estrogen does the job for women. It's actually like, it's it's not that at all. Both hormones okay. play a role for like, you know, no matter your sex or your gender, testosterone is going to increase libido for everyone. Like ovaries can produce testosterone, right. you know, and testes can produce estrogen, do produce estrogen. Adrenal glands also produce testosterone. Like it's not... None of this is as binary yeah. as, you know, the world makes you, as, as you kind of grew up in the overly simplified uh, high school level yeah. biology. But yeah, so it, what essentially does, um, it comes down to these primary do, sex. Then? So if, if tes- testosterone increases the libido with everyone, does estrogen do the same working in conjunction with testosterone or yeah. does estrogen do a slightly different thing? Um, it does it in a slightly different way, but it does increase it because I think there are studies looking at where, you know, some cis women are in their ovulation cycles and mm. how how horny they are based on how much estrogen their body is producing at any given time. And it's, yeah, I would essentially wonder, correlated with it's, it. This mm-hmm. is pure conjecture. And if you haven't done the research, that's fine. I just, I'm just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. I wonder if whether like your levels of testosterone versus estrogen produced changes whether your kind of um sexual um desire like whether it makes you a sub or a dom basically is where I'm going with <laughs> whether this. you're a top if, or if, a bottom if you produce more sex testosterone and that's what drives your libido is that more likely to make you more of a dominating um sexual partner versus estrogen making you a more submissive one because i'm, I'm not gonna say obviously it's not the case for all but i think mm-hmm. men have more of a history for being more dominating when it comes to like Mm-hmm. sex and women traditionally would be more submissive obviously that can be flipped on its fucking head a lot but i wonder mm-hmm. are some women more inclined to be more dominating versus submissive because they produce more testosterone for their libido pure conjecture i have no idea if there's any correlation i'm just speculating mm. i haven't done the specific research and i haven't read any specific studies looking at that which is not to say that they don't exist i just mm. didn't stumble upon them but from what I do know about, you know, testosterone, it does make you more, it can make people more aggressive. It can make people more dominating. Like, you mm. know, it can, a lot of the, you know, the reason why men are generally the more dominating, blah, blah, blah. A lot mm. of that is kind of what our society yeah. and our societal structure has taught us to expect and formed around that rather than some underlying biology as much as, you know, scientists of the past might have tried to argue otherwise. But, you know, there might there might be some basis to that. Um, that's a, that's a, a worthwhile question exploring, mm. I think. A question worthwhile exploring is the <laughs> correct order to say those words. Um, but yes, because, yeah, it's not, it's not a case of, you know, guys get horny, there's testosterone. Yeah. Girls get horny, there's estrogen. Like it's, there's a it's bit of both for everyone. It's far more complicated than that. Yeah. And so that's, that's your lust. That's, that's what's driving the lust phase. And then you've got the attraction, which is, or the, well, the one that's kind of the more romantic, um, phase, which you can argue that you can transition from some people. They, they have the lust at first. They kind of mm. consummate that lust and then they're kind of like, cool, we're done. Move on. Yeah. I'll see you again or whatever. And sometimes it can develop into attraction from mm-hmm. lust or sometimes, you know, it doesn't necessarily follow phase one, two, then three. 
Sometimes it can just do a hop, skip and jump straight to phase two. Exactly. These things can exist simultaneously, separately, whatever. Mm. But it seems to be distinct, but closely related is the point. Attraction. Mm. And we can, you know, like, yeah, you can can lust for someone you're attracted to and vice versa, but they can happen without each each other. other. Yeah. So these things are related, but different. But the, so this is the one that I'm excited to talk about because this is the one that I think is most closely related to addiction or when people say they're addicted to love, like this is the type of love that they're talking about. Mm. And because it's, it's very much governed by the reward circuitry in the brain. Is this the which, attraction you know, or the attachment? Sorry, you're referring this to This is now. the attraction, the phase attraction, two. Phase so two. not okay. lust. We're moving on. We're getting a little bit more romantic. We're kind of getting a bit... I mean, obsessed is a very strong word, and I don't want to use it. But we're very fixated. You know, we're thinking we're, we're, we're almost craving use, like, little, the other person. Little pet names, or you can't stop thinking about them. Yeah, you're getting, exactly. You're getting the feeling in your belly. Yeah, because essentially you're... we've got two. Well, we've got three main neurotransmitters involved here. We've got mm. serotonin, we've got dopamine, and we've got norepinephrine, which mm. is also called noradrenaline. So you've got. Serotonin. Now, serotonin is an interesting one because some of the research said serotonin increases and then some of the research said that serotonin was actually lower in people that were in love. And so I'm going to kind of not really touch serotonin because big question marks around that. But we know what we do know is that serotonin is involved with mood. And what we do know is that your serotonin seems to change somehow when Mm. you're in love. And so there is something to do with your mood and being quote unquote in love in this attachment phase that's related to serotonin. But there's still so much we don't know. Oh, take all of this with a grain of salt because there's still, it's like I said, it's a very ambiguous concept. It's hard to define and hard to test. Yeah. But then we've got dopamine, which we've managed to, you know, knuckle down a little bit more in, there's a very clear role for dopamine in, you know, people in this stage of love. And a lot of the research that I kind of, well, not, not the research, sorry, not the studies that I read, but I did, I kind of like to look over some of the, you know, previous science communication that's been done around this topic um, when preparing for podcasts. And a lot of the stuff about, you know, what is love, we're, we're doing, throwing the whole like, oh, your brain on love looks like a brain on cocaine. Ah. Like when you're in love, your brain looks the same as when you're on cocaine and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> there's some, I can see how you managed to draw that out there, but it's not, you know. Okay. They might have just been the putting way... it out there as like a nice clickbaity thing more than anything exactly. else. Something for the, the, the viewer to latch onto. I want to come in here with my actual neuroscience uh, oh. qualifications and be like, I'll explain what they're saying when they say your brain in love looks like you've taken mm. cocaine. Because, n- n- nah. But <laughs> okay. In a very specific part of your reward pathway, so from, you know, your um, ventral tegmental area to your nucleus accumbens, you release a whole lot of dopamine when you do a rewarding activity or a rewarding behavior. Like dopamine, everyone associates dopamine with reward, right? It's released when we do things that make us feel good. But... I mean, listen, we did, there's a previous episode, I think last, like, last season yes. on addiction. And so if you want more detail about this, go back and listen to that episode. But long story short, the dopamine's not necessarily the pleasure part or the liking. It's, it's the it anticipation, right? Flag. Sorry. It's like about anticipation, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It, it Essentially, it serves to flag whatever behavior you're doing as something that feels pretty good and that you should 100% like seek that shit out again because mm. 
like top shit. So, you know, it's released when you do something that's good and then it creates, the, the system kind of gets sensitized and you want more and the more you have of it, the more you want of it. And it creates mm. this craving and it creates this drive and this wanting. And that, when you do a line of Coke, a lot of that shit happens. Yeah. They also, so this is the whole, like, your brain on is the same. You know, this comes mainly from, there was this one study where they did a bunch of fMRI, which is just scans of the brain that looks at blood and blood flow. And mm. you look at how active different parts of the brain are based on how much blood flow is there. And they looked at a bunch of brains of people who, it's really important to note that when they were searching for these people, they said people... Have you just fallen madly in love? That was their kind of recruitment question. Have you just fallen madly in love? With the keywords being just and madly. So yeah. they wanted people that were like so intensely in love that they could hardly eat or sleep and that they that these romantic feelings were relatively fresh and vivid, uncontrollable and passionate. Mm. Like they wanted their recruitment, they wanted these people in that like sweet spot honeymoon kind of yeah. phase, right? And they scanned their brains and they found that, in fact, the, the part, the, you know, similar firing of the ventral tergmental area, releasing dopamine into the nucleus accumbens, when, when these people were shown photos of the people that they were intensely, mm-hmm. quote unquote, in love with, attracted to, um, compared to someone who they felt neutral about. They saw very similar reward circuitry activity. And they also saw a decrease in activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is your kind of rational thinking like you know how people are always like oh dumb in love blah 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 like love mm. clouds your ability to make rational decisions yeah. just like she did it addiction for love to some yeah addiction to some substances does yeah. the same thing right decreases that prefrontal activity so your your decision making is less rational and more about i just need to fulfill this requirement of feeling good mm-hmm. And so, like, that's where that that's where the whole your brain looks like. It, it doesn't do the same thing as cocaine. It just kind of flags to your brain in a similar way that, hey, seeing this person makes yeah. me feel good. I want to do more of that. Just and that like, would be the same as coke, anything same that releases dopamine. When you eat sugar, exactly. if you go for mm-hmm. a run, if you fire a gun. I don't know. Exactly. Like... Um, and, like, you know, if you want to diagnose someone with, like, an addiction illness, a very key component of that diagnosis is the preoccupation with the substance they're addicted to or, or taking the substance they're addicted to is having a negative influence on their life in some way. Mm. And so maybe you could argue that people in abusive relationships that don't want to leave or that, you know, you could argue that there's some pathological addiction to love in there, but mm. it's not... Like it's, it's a very big jump to say that it's the same thing, Yeah. but it does, it does create that feeling of being high essentially in when you're in that like sweet spot honeymoon that, uh, phase. Ecstasy, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. The euphoria of, you know, new love. Mm. And then there's norepinephrine or noradrenaline, which like you were saying before is kind of the, the fluttering heart, the, yeah. the butterflies in your stomach, the, because it's essentially you may recognize adrenaline as being that we associate it with your flight or flight response. It's your sympathetic nervous system. It gets going. You have increased heart rate. You get energetic. You get suppressed appetite. You know, we get all of these feelings when we're running away from a bear and also apparently when we're highly attracted to someone, but it's all about the context and how your brain interprets that rush of, you know, um, yeah. 
neurotransmitters is whether you're like, this is a good thing. This is exciting. I'm in love, baby. Come, you know, do lovey things to yeah. me. Um, or holy shit, that's a bear and I need to yeet myself out of here. Like same. It's the same chemical. Same chemical. <laughs> that's really funny. Right. And I think that's why where the whole thing about like, you know how Valentine's Day, everyone's drawing hearts and giving heart yeah. shapes, which like, well, heart shape. I oh, say, yeah. I'd love to go the into the history heart. of that. I don't know if you've studied that at all. The history uh, of the I don't know heart. how the heart became shaped the way that we draw a love heart. Like I've got no idea about okay. that, but I assume the reason we associate the heart with love is because that's where we feel a physical physical like you know before people knew about the brain that you would feel those palpitations you would feel Mm. your heart rate rising that's probably the most like physiological easy to identify thing when you're in love and so you're like okay I love you with all my heart because my heart reacts when I see you in a way that I interpret as positive and even like if they don't know much about biology like they know that you stab someone in the heart, they die. Like mm, humans mm. have been good at killing for a while. So we know the heart <laughs> is an important Yeah, we figured that one out pretty body. early on. Hey? And then feeling all of that emotion around there as well. You're like, shit, this is like a really mm. huge core of what makes me a human, you know, what mm. makes me feel, what makes me not just feel, but live, you know? Mm. But alas, they were wrong. It's all the brain. <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay, so, like, it makes sense, right, as to why humans slash other species have evolved to experience lust Mm. and also attachment, right? Because those things lead you to wanting to have some sexual intercourse, and that, of course, leads Mm -hmm. to your genes, you know, existing beyond your generation. Because ultimately, that's, that's all anyone wants is to exist whether you want that consciously or not and you know you might not want kids Mm -hmm. or be able to have kids i'm not saying that personally everyone individually deep down wants this but as a species that's how evolution works is everyone has somewhat of like a survival instinct Mm. right whether it's survival of the self or survival of the human race you know you want to live you want to pass on Mm. your gene pool make more humans live by and large. It makes sense that the people that feel this desire to do the behavior that leads to the continuation of their mm. genetic line are the ones that are most yes. likely to survive based on how we understand evolution. But the thing is, that's not the only component to it. It's not just about like shoving the gametes together and creating the baby. The it's about <laughs> making sure that said baby I thought, can I thought grow you were going up. somewhere else Sorry? Then when you were talking about shoving. Um, anyway. <laughs> The point is, you don't just want to make the little tiny human. You want the little tiny human to become a larger human that can then also... Make another tiny human. Reproduce. Exactly. And so on and so forth. And so this is kind of why they theorize the third phase, which is the attachment after beyond just the attraction. Like, why do people stay together after they've had (laughs) sex, right? After they've already had a kid. Like, why do people stay together? What's the point? <laughs> Evolutionarily speaking, what the fuck is the point? Sounds like you've been hurt before, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, once you've had a kid, you've done the, right? You've served your purpose. I'm done with you. Um, no. But seriously, like, why? Well, be- well isn't why? that what the phase two is? Because phase one's the lust. That's the sex. Once you've had the sex, you've still got mm. the attraction. You're like, yes, we've had sex. Let's go for mm-hmm. brunch after as well and hold hands. And you do that for a little bit, right? But that fades after, you know, people talk about the honeymoon Mm. phase only lasts a couple years or whatever. You know, that really intense. Because essentially, if you think about it like an addiction, you have that dopamine Mm. rush, you get that craving, but you eventually build a tolerance to that. 
that's what happens. You get a tolerance to that constant dopamine rush that you get from seeing that person because they're no longer novel. Our brains love novelty. Mm. They like it likes new shit, whether we like it or not. We can tell ourselves that we're destined to be monogamous, but you know, you look at the human genome for the majority mm. of human history, humans have not been monogamous. The majority of other species are not monogamous. Even ones that for a long time we thought were monogamous and created these pair mm. bonds that existed for life. Relatively recent research has shown that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cheating that goes uh, along in those, you know, not necessarily around those cheating, species maybe they're just well, open right? relationships. What do we know? Well, this is the thing. This is exactly. And it's all this whole idea that you kind of stay with the one person forever is a very societal mm. constructed thing. But, but it's not untrue that you form these really, really deep mm. attachments with some people that can be very, very yeah. long lasting. And they outlast even once that honeymoon, you know, attraction has worn off people who have been married for like 30 years can still yeah. say, yes, I, I truly love my partner and that's that's where we come to the third and this is where it kind of starts to bleed into not just romantic love where you've got your familial love or your platonic love because oxytocin is the main one for this and vasopressin as well we're not really too sure about vasopressin some people seem to say it's kind of the monogamy okay. hormone because it was shown initially to be important in um, prairie voles, which were initially thought to be very monogamous and were one of those species that I referred right. to before as later finding out that they are more promiscuous, less pair bonded than scientists right. first thought. Um, because you look at their litters and you see multiple mm. parentage sources Anyway, so vasopressin is another one that we're still now not really sure what its role is. But oxytocin, right? Everyone's heard of oxytocin. It's it's the cuddle hormone, the mm. love hormone. Some people call it the commitment hormone because it's kind of about that deep bonding. And it's the one that, you know, that causes parents to love their children. It happens in mm. childbirth. Women get a massive or, sorry, like the, the parent giving birth gets a massive, massive rush of, of oxytocin mm. as as they're giving birth and that starts to create this bonding right. with the infant, same with breastfeeding, you know, and then also sex, yes. sex will do it too. Um, and like long-term mm. relationship because the, the, the common factor between like giving birth and, and having sex is not pleasure. Like the, those are not both pleasurable <laughs> activities. The common factor is that they both lead sometimes can lead to a very intense right. bonding. And so, yeah, this is where, you know, after your brain's kind of built up this tolerance to the norepinephrine and the dopamine mm. and the whatever, and, you know, you've kind of, you're not high anymore off that initial thing and where people can settle down and be like, okay, are we actually compatible to keep living our lives together the way that we are? Um, and how strong that bond has, you know, yeah. formed um, often comes down to oxytocin and... How that's released. Yeah, that well, release fucking A. Yeah, and I, I read some interesting stuff about, like, compatibility, like, doing, which is a bit questionable, mm, yeah. I will say, but some people claiming that they did, like, DNA tests to figure out how compatible some couples are based on, that like... That seems like a slippery slope. Different receptor types. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> and because they were talking about, like, for oxytocin, there are two different gene variants, essentially, for receptors right. for oxytocin, and one, there's the A variant and the mm. G variant, and then you've got... So your G variant essentially fits the oxytocin molecule 
really, mm-hmm. really well and you get a really big response compared to the A variant where it doesn't quite fit so well so you don't get quite as big a response and they're arguing that, like, that leads people to interpreting, you know, forming bonds in different ways or interpreting emotions mm-hmm. in different ways or communicating emotions in different ways and therefore some types of people will be more compatible with other types of people. But, like, I would put a big old asterisks over that like take any of that with a grain of salt and also a lot of that's very heteronormative i will say like you know there's not a whole lot of research in that regard on queer couples um Mm. but i uh, though though speaking Mm. of queer couples i do want to just say you know a quick little note on the gay (laughs) agenda um if the argument for why we form these attachments so obviously you know lust and attraction make you want mm-hmm. to have sex and then the further attachment makes you want to raise that child so it too can eventually be a not child and yes. then to have sex etc so why are the gays why do the gays <laughs> exist yeah true you know well, why 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 genetically you know evolutionarily what is their purpose <laughs> they can't pass on their I genes suppose as long as they're getting the um the chemical releases happening then it's a perfectly viable thing but yeah, why are there oxytocin? Oxytocin is that right? Yeah, oxytocin. Um, well, oxytocin would be the the bonding. The bonding. Yeah. Well, all of them. We've seen all three phases occur with you know mm-hmm. all forms of sexualities mm-hmm. and things like that. I have heard mm. one theory for um why gay thing mm-hmm. why gay people exist as a uh, n- nature's way of um controlling itself for population control if a population starts to get too big you start (laughs) to see more instances of um homosexuality occur to try and produce less children like again i certainly no fact checking i just read it somewhere (laughs) one time and i thought it was kind of funny yeah i i haven't heard that one in particular i've heard one See, that's the thing is, we don't know. We mm. don't conclusively know, and there are a few different theories that may be. But I know one. it's not just it's um, not just humans. Another that one have instances of homosexuality. It's been observed heaps no. in the animal kingdom as well. There's quite a few different theories, and we don't conclusively know. But my favorite one that I will mm. just quickly mention is <laughs> the gay uncle explanation, because you know how you always like, oh, there's a gay cousin or a gay <laughs> yeah, uncle or okay. whatever. It's essentially it's focusing on this third phase of mm. love, the 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 bonding, the attachment, the like helping raise the mm. child so that the child can be a not child mm. emphasizing they're a not child and then they have sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the theory is that the same reason why once you've had sex with someone, you probably want them to stick around and help you raise mm. the kid. The more like the more people around to help raise the kid, the more likely that kid is going to mm. survive. And so in every family or in every, you know, certain number of heterosexual couplings or, or people, there's a certain number that can't produce their own children so that they're, they're meant to be the support, right. the supporting characters. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're there to help out. Yeah. As well. I hate it. Interesting. <laughs> but I love it. But they're, they're acting to boost that kid's chance of surviving to a reproductive age. They're there, mm. you know, so note to all the families that are booting out your gays, mm. um, you're wasting them. Wasted That's opportunity. That's for. like an extra babysitter you don't have to pay for. <laughs> exactly. Like, what are you thinking? Oh. Straights, get your shit together. I, I kind anyway. of like that, though. It, it kind of, you know, maybe provides some level of scientific credence against people who are like, gay people can't raise kids. Like, if, you know, humans mm. Mm. are evolved to 
to make babies. And if these people aren't making babies, then clearly they're evolved not to have children. So keep them away from my kids. It's like, well, no, even if mm. they're not passing on their own genes to prolong the human race, they clearly they still have. They literally exist to care they for have the kids. A, so. Yeah, the, they're genetically like, they still have nurturing mm. in them. All people have nurturing in mm. them, no matter their sexuality. Exactly. And like the same goes for straight people who, for whatever other medical reason, mm. cannot have children, mm. even if they maybe want to. Doesn't mean that they're incapable of the nurturing required to raise a child. And we see this not just in humans. Like you see it in the case of those, the famous gay penguin couple that raised a kid together, mm. you know, like we see it all throughout nature. And so that I think that's, yeah, one of my favorite arguments for evolutionarily why it makes sense that we have queer people. And it kind of fits nicely into also that theory that based on biology, humans are not necessarily meant to form these monogamous mm. lifelong pair bonds, which is not to say that they can't be hugely successful and very fulfilling and, you know, all of that. I'm not here to shit on anyone's lifestyle choices. That's a, oh, I hate the term lifestyle choices <laughs> for that. <laughs> oh gosh, do I sound like the uh, worst. That's funny. Tam. But you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, everything needs to be thought about and, and looked at under a sort of social lens and a cultural lens and with a deeper understanding of where we've come from and why. And it's not all strictly biological necessarily. So what I'm hearing is science is volunteering you to look after my future kids part-time. <laughs> Only if you pay really well. <laughs> no, no, no. You're the gay uncle. Come on. I don't have to pay you. <laughs> I'll wear that uh, badge with pride. <laughs> Well, now seems like a good time as any to shuffle on over to our listener question. Yeah, so as always, we have a listener question. And just a cheeky reminder, if you don't remember and you have your own listener question, you can email us always. CuriosityRat at gmail.com is our email address. Shoot us through your listener questions. Today's listener question is emailed in from Elisa and it's how do grow lights work? So grow lights you know, if we're not aware grow of lights. what grow lights are. See, none of you can see the video right now, but Matt can. Matt can see my Zoom and the fact that yeah. my face is kind of like pink right now because yeah. I have a grow light in my bedroom um, because my bedroom doesn't get very much natural light, but I am a mm. slut for plants. And so <laughs> I have quite a few houseplants in my bedroom that would be dead if I didn't artificially keep them alive with an artificial light source, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. a grow mm -hmm. light. So how do they work? Why are they important? Why do plants even need light anyway? Like, you know, okay. So photosynthesis, right? 10 points for Gryffindor. You're not in Gryffindor. Um, I'm Hufflepuff, mate. I Come know, on. Sorry. 10 points for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Photosynthesis. We've all done some level of, you know, high school biology. We know the plants photosynthesize. That's kind of, you know, but to give you the quick, the quick, Summary. See, the thing about photosynthesis, right, is <laughs> it's an example. I, I, I read somewhere that it's a very good example of unintelligent design just because it's such a convoluted and inefficient process that creates toxic byproducts for the plant that the plant then has to create other stuff to not. It's a very. Right. It's, it's a shit system but but it does what it, it meant, it's meant to do which is it takes photons of light generally from the sun mm -hmm. but also potentially from a grow light and it converts it ultimately into oxygen as a byproduct which humans we dig that breathe it in and glucose which the plant can use 
for energy has two stages. The first one needs these photons of light. The second one doesn't. And, but yeah, essentially the moral of the story is it takes these photons of light. It turns mm-hmm. it into an energy source that the plant can actually use. The plant can then grow. Um, it happens in chloroplasts, which are like the little organelles that plant cells have and animal cells don't. And That's what makes plants green, isn't it? Yes. So this is where we come to why the hell my face looks pink, because why the hell is my grow light? So my grow light isn't pink or purple. It's actually alternating bulbs of little blue and red, blue and red. You can also buy grow okay. lights that are full spectrum. Um, but Mm -hmm. essentially most grow lights, you, lights only use light in the visible spectrum to photosynthesize, right? Which is 400 to 700 nanometers of wavelength Mm -hmm. of light. Um, and they tend to use blue and red light because chloroplasts, inside chloroplasts, you've got chlorophyll, which Mm -hmm. is your pigment that yes, makes the plants look green. Why does it make the plants look green? Because, you know, how does, why does anything look any color? It's because that's the color that's being reflected, right? Yeah. So the green light isn't being absorbed, or it, which is kind of a little bit of a myth, a bit of it's being absorbed, but generally very simplified speaking, the green light yeah. is being reflected. Ergo, the plant mm-hmm. looks green. The red and the blue light, however, is being absorbed, and that's what's being used in the photosynthesis. Oh, shit. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of right? sense. Exactly. And so... That's why, and you know, there's some arguments that red light is better for um, doing, like it's got a longer wavelength, so it's more efficient for photosynthesis, but it would lead to plants with like really long stems, whereas the blue light is more important for kind of keeping the plant mm-hmm. compact and, and um, not getting leggy, as it's called. Uh, but there's also a bit of debate about why and how exactly the different wavelengths affect the light, uh, the plant in different ways. But there's mm. so many, you can look up, I'll link a few on YouTube, so many experiments showing like plants grown under different wavelengths of light and different colored lights and they grow differently. They react differently. And so one, you know, one little thing, I can't talk about grow lights and not make a little cheeky mention of uh, growing nefarious illegal substances with grow lights. Ah, uh, yes, and of course. the thing about you know, the good old devil's lettuce that some people like to have an artificial light system to help grow. The thing is people tend Mm -hmm. to use, um, visible light, which is for the photosynthesis, but there's also UV light when you're growing, um, cannabis plants. If you hadn't caught on to Mm -hmm. the, we're talking about cannabis folks. (laughs) So the thing, the reason people use UV light and you use that on like a cannabis plant, but you wouldn't want to use that. You know, I wouldn't be using that on my Monstera. Because I was wondering that, like, like if you're using a grow light, surely it's got UV. Why are you shining it in your face? Wouldn't that be hella burning No, you? because this is not a grow light with UV. This is a grow light mm. for not nefarious houseplants that only uses the visible light. The the invisible, mm. the the UV, well, I mean, there's, there's always going to be a little bit of UV radiation. But the reason you specifically mm. try to put UV light on cannabis plants is because the plant then freaks out and it actually mm. creates more... THC as a kind of protection mechanism because that's what the ah. THC, that's what the cannabinoids that, that cannabis produces. It's essentially a protection mechanism for the plant. And so you freak the plant out with a bunch of UV light, it's going to produce more cannabinoids and it's going to be a more psychoactive plant. And that's why people put UV light on those plants. 
I do not. That is not the aim of my grow lights in my room, even though my slightly questionable yes, pink no. haze coming out of my bedroom windows might look suspicious to some. You prefer to grow your cannabis more naturally. I yeah, yeah. I don't want it tainted with. <laughs> no, no. For legal reasons, we do not endorse the growing <laughs> of cannabis. We do not grow cannabis. But yes, that essentially is how and why grow lights work. Because plants need light. And they don't necessarily need green light. That's the very, very short answer. There you go. That's really Hmm. cool. That's really cool. The fact that they only use the red and the blue because the green's in the middle and that gets reflected. So it would be a waste of energy, a waste of light to shine that on the plant because it's not going to absorb it. Pretty much. And like I said, that's that's simplified. And, you know, there is some, you know, green light that can do some things and you can get some grow lights that Mm. have that. But the very simple version is, yes, that, what you said, is good and correct and i have run out of the ability to say things coherently so i think that is a sign that we need to wrap this episode the fuck up so before we do i will beg you kindly to follow us on social media find us on twitter instagram at curiosity rat is our handle um or you can find us on facebook curiosity killed the rat shoot us in your listener questions curiosity rat at gmail.com and uh thanks for listening Hope you're not too disillusioned by love and or Valentine's Day. I hope you have a good one, I guess, folks, whenever, you know. <laughs> um, That's all right. I'm only 90% more sad after the okay, episode. Okay, okay. Damn, I should have done better. I was hoping for, like, soul crushing. <laughs> oh, I didn't even, you know, we ran out of time to talk about heartbreak and why that's such a visceral physical feeling. Fun little tidbit, the anterior cingular cortex, the bit that lights up when you cut yourself, also lights up when you feel social rejection. And so heartbreak huh. physically hurts. It's true. Broken heart physically go. hurts. I gotta, I gotta ask before we mm. wrap up, was I on the right sort of uh, band bet wavelength when I was saying it has like withdrawal symptoms mm. similar to like when you're withdrawing from that's, a drug? That's definitely a component that people have theorized. If if you quote unquote like break up during that attachment, that sorry, not the attachment, the attraction phase. And yeah, mm. if, if, or if that attraction is not, um, what's the word? Reciprocated. Yeah. Uh, unrequited. unrequited. Unrequited love. Unrequited attraction. Um, yes. Yeah, you can be you oh can be God, craving the person again. and that craving oh. is not satiated. You're going to go through a withdrawal yeah. phase and it's going to suck, but you're going to get through it yep. and you're going to be okay and you're going to live happily yep. ever after, whether yep. it's, you know, with a monogamous partner, whether it's with a, you know, whole big family, whether it's with your dog, whether it's by yourself, you're still going to be happy. You know what I love, Kate? Tell me. Our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Our beautiful listeners. Mm, mm, mm. Happy Valentine's and Day to all you beautiful listeners Valentine's. out there. Like us, subscribe us this Valentine's Day. If you want to give us a cheeky Valentine's gift, it would be to give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Thank you and good night. Bye. Now seems as good a time as any uh, fucking cunt wanker, shitty fucky bullsack. <laughs> God damn. Um, I've already recorded. Yeah, Fuck it. Listener question. Supplements. What's the listener question? Listener question. Question. Questioning listeners. I can't remember what you. Now seems like question. Time to... The question for Cusco. Um... Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs>